Oh, a wise guy, eh? Indeed he is. Gene McCaffrey of Wise Guy Baseball is next on Baseball HQ Radio. by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of June the 16th. And show number 22 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host. And in addition to Gene McCaffrey of Wise Guy Baseball, we'll have our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, which we think is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our National League analyst is Harold Nichols. American League analyst columnist Matt Beagle, also our Market Pulse commentator this week, talking about how rolling the dice can be fun for Stratomatic, but not a winning roto formula. In our regular minor league minute, Rob Gordon looks at outfielder Jorge Soler, the Cuban sensation recently signed by the Cubs. And in his master notes, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talks about his experience in a four-week league that he was recently involved in. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The Pirates are hanging in there in the National League Central. We gotta talk some baseball. And the first inning of our show, our League Watch News reports. Matt Beagle is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's the National League and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Let's start in San Francisco. Pablo Sandoval was reactivated. And this is a guy who's had some ups and downs over the last couple of years, to say the least, but makes an intriguing get if you need some power. He does indeed. I mean, you did an interesting column this week that looked at... uh power versus projected power and Pablo Sandoval certainly looks like one who's got uh, uh, who's got a good power potential uh, his power index isn't quite there yet but uh, so far on the on his on his uh, return from the DL he's not hitting for much power he's six for 19 with one extra base hit uh, and is going to be batting for a while I think from the left side of the plate because of that uh, that injury to his hamate bone so uh, I begin to wonder what, how much power we're going to see over the next uh, over the short term yeah, over the short term, I agree with you. Coming back from a hamate bone, it's not a real super severe injury, but it is in the hand area. He is going to be restricted to, to batting from the left side, which is not a terrible thing for him. He's a good hitter from the left side. But what was interesting about that analysis that I did about power underperformers, it was part of a column about power and batting average over and underperformers. Um, all the guys on the list who had big differences between their power index and their expected power index, which is based on hard hit balls, is... All of the guys who are on the list of underperformers were well under 100 PX, which is sub-league average. But Pablo Sandoval was over one at 115, but his expected PX 
is actually 165, so he's above league average in power, but he should be more above league average in power. So I think if you have a disgruntled owner in your league who has tired of Pablo Sandoval with his various issues and this injury, that might not be a bad time to, to take, a, take a crack at a trade. Yeah, now is certainly, I think, a good time to... Uh... Uh, to make a, an attempt to, to get Pablo Sandoval. I mean, we're projecting from from here on out 16 homers, 54 RBIs, a 307 BA. So uh, he'd, be, he'd certainly help a fantasy team a lot in the second half. And one of the things that you have to be aware of is sometimes you have to take a risk on an injured guy because, you know, nobody's going to take their top-performing guy, their Ryan Bronze, and just hand them to you. You're going to have to gamble a little bit. Right, very definitely. And Sandoval's a good guy to gamble on. In Washington, Mike Morris was also reactivated from the DL a little while ago and hasn't hit a lick since. What's going on? You know, you look at Mike Morris, and I think there's real reason for concern as he's coming back from the DL. I mean, first of all, he's coming back from a back problem, which is never uh, never something to, to, to mess around with. You always worry that that's going to re- reoccur. But if you look at what he's done since he's been back from the DL, the real concern for me as I'm looking at what's there is a 65% ground ball rate. At this point, he's sitting almost everything on the ground, only a 15% fly ball rate, and his power is not going to come back until he starts getting the ball in the air. Well, that's certainly true. 15% fly ball rate is absurdly low, really, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, the rest of his the rest of his indicators look okay. His batting eye is okay. His hitting rate's a little bit low, but that that uh, at this point he's batting every batting everything into the ground, and uh, uh, he's got to find get some lift in the ball before he's going to find that power that he had last season. You know, this is not the first time for Morris. He had cups of coffee in '06 through '08, just a handful of at bats in '09, and his fly ball rates in all those years were pretty much under 20% or right around 20%. He finally started figuring it out in 2010. He boosted it up to 38%, and that's the year, of course, he, he broke through with 15 home runs, and then he, he he stayed on that level and got 30 home runs last year. A little bit of luck, I think, maybe involved there. But uh, this is the kind of thing that makes you ask the question, is he going to recover that fly ball uh, aspect to his swing? Is that a skill or is that luck? How does that work? Yeah, you know, you, you have to look at his history, and you've got to wonder if, uh, I, I think you're right, it looked like he figured something out in 2010, and uh, certainly maybe the time off and the uh, the back injury have made it uh, more difficult for him to find whatever he was getting uh, in 2010, 2011. So uh, I, as a, if, if I were a Mike Morse owner, I'd be real cautious right now uh, about whether that power is coming back. It might be a good time to try to sell for the second half. Yeah, you never know what those back injuries do. I mean, uh, the the baseball swing is a very complicated thing like a golf swing. And uh, I remember Tiger Woods had a back injury, and it really affected his ability to swing a golf club. And it's not a difficult extension of that to think that here you have a power-hitting baseball player. The swings are very similar. You hurt your back. Things change. Uh, it does indeed. So I think I'd have some concern at this point. Doug Dennis of Baseball HQ, Nick, uh, is our bullpen columnist. He had a column recently about elite non-closers, uh, guys who don't have that closer role but do have the elite skills. Pretty interesting read. And one of the names he mentioned in the Nationals bullpen, which is a really terrific bullpen, by the way, is Craig Stammen. Yeah, you know, Craig Stammen is, is uh, at this point, not uh, not even the number two guy in the Nationals bullpen. I mean, he's behind Story, he's behind Clipper. Clipper. Um, but this guy, look at look at what he's done so far this year. We're talking about a dominance rate above ten, uh, outstanding control, one point six seven ERA, uh, and not too far off from that from his xERA. Uh, here's a guy displaying outstanding skills, uh, even a good ground ball rate, forty eight percent ground ball rate. So, if you're looking for somebody kind of at the back of your bullpen, I think an excellent Lima guy, uh, probably not going to get a lot of saves, but uh, certainly someone to consider putting on your roster. 
And I know Matt Beagle, our American League Market Watch columnist and Market Pulse commentator, Nick, uh, is also a big Stratomatic fan, and he'll uh, he'll be really angry with me if I don't point out that guys like Craig Stammen make excellent Strato-type guys because you can use them as closers with those skills. You're not married to the uh, to the Major League Manager's decision. You can just say, for this week on my Strato team, Craig Stammen's going to be my closer and, and take advantage of those great skills. And interestingly enough, Salmon showed up also in Stephen Nickrand's column this week, uh, looking at a guy that uh, has incredible, incredible skills against right-handed hitters and uh, might get another shot at the rotation. So certainly someone to uh, to tuck away, I think. Yes, and uh, speaking of Stephen Nickrand's column, it's called One Split Away. He looks at a bunch of pitchers who have terrific skills, but there's some... One single split, whether it's left, right, day, night, grass, turf, we call them splits. And all of these pitchers that Stephen identified have really good skills and good results, except for one of those splits. And Bud Norris of Houston is one of those guys. Bud Norris has incredible splits against right-handed hitters. I mean, a 12.2 dom, 1.8 control, uh, good ground ball rate. Uh, the, uh, the problem that comes when he gets to left-handed hitters, a 6.1 dom, 4.4 control. So that split, that uh, difficulty with left-handed batters is what's keeping him from becoming an elite starting pitcher. But Bud Norris is also battling some really bad luck uh, right now, especially over the last month. A 6.07 ERA over the last month with a 40% hit rate, a 66% strand rate, and a uh, a home run to fly rate of uh, 16%. So a lot of balls have been leaving the park for poor Bud Norris, and he's been giving up a lot of hits, and it really looks like a lot of bad luck at this point. Yeah, it's a pretty easy park to give up home runs in, too, though, so that, that might account for some of the bad luck. I think there's there's room to look at that park factor in that, especially in that home run per fly ball rate, and, and the uh, which leads directly to the home run per nine innings rate that we like to look at. And, of course, you'd like to have your home runs per nine be under 1.0, but for guys in Houston and probably guys in a couple of other parks around the league, that's kind of a pipe dream, isn't it? Yeah, it is indeed. I mean, that park, uh, park, home runs come very easily in Houston, and certainly that makes a difference, and that makes somebody like uh, like Bud Norris a bit of a risk as a starting pitcher. But we're looking, for example, in the last month at a 3.49 XERA, an actual ERA of 6.07. So we should see some uh, some improvement just on the basis of luck turning around over the next uh, the next few weeks. Yeah, his expected ERA for the year is 3.55, which is quite excellent and uh, and his base performance value uh, 75.80 is a really good pitcher. He's at 106, which is excellent for a starter. It, cer- it certainly is. So, but you know, if an owner in your league is giving up on Bud Norris, he's certainly someone to, to uh, take a look at. Yeah, especially in 5 by 5 leagues get a lot of strikeouts. Nick, thanks very much for doing this. We'll catch up with you again in 1 week. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Harold Nichols is the Director of Skills Analysis at BaseballHQ.com, and he's our National League newsman here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's move to the American League and BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle. Matt, welcome back to the show. Great to be back, Patrick. Matt, let's start with Matt Moore. At the start of this season, BaseballHQ.com recommended Moore, which is a little unusual given that he was a rookie with very little Major League experience. Nonetheless, looked like he had terrific skills, but so far this year the results just haven't been there. Do we still like Matt Moore? What's going on here? Matt Moore's posted a 4.59 ERA over the course of the season so far. But actually, if you look at his uh, last two months, he's been very effective in May and June. In May, his expected ERA was 3.33, despite a 4.83 actual ERA. And in June, it's 3.38. And those are both a result of a better fly ball rate. His fly ball rate has come down significantly from the 47% in April 
to 44% in May and 31% in so far in June, which is obviously just a very small sample size. But we also see his control rate getting much better. Uh, he was walking 4.3 batters per nine innings on the year, five walks per nine innings in April. But in May and June, just under four. That's a huge improvement and also striking out a lot more batters. 11.7 batters per nine innings in May. Uh, nearly 10 batters per nine innings in June compared to 6.1 in April. And overall, that makes his command over the past month and a half or so uh, almost over 2.7, whereas in the first month of the year in April, it was only 1.2. So he's controlling the strike zone much better. He's settled down. He's getting much more ground balls, much less fly balls. So being a much more effective pitcher. Uh, overall, still very unlucky with his home run per fly ball rate at 13%. That should normalize. So we see somebody here with his expected area of four over the course of the season. Uh, could be even better if you look at the last six weeks or so. Matt, another guy that we really liked at BaseballHQ.com who's having not a good season to date is Gavin Floyd of the White Sox. Here's another guy with a sky-high ERA. Yes, Floyd's been getting shelled with a 538 ERA before getting hammered on June the 14th. So his numbers may be skewed even more. But his expected ERA is 3.51. He's had a very low 62% strand rate and a 16% home run per fly ball rate. Both very unlucky. He has an 8.4 dominance and a 3.5 command overall. So he's still controlling the strike zone. Gavin Floyd is a proven pitcher with great skills who's going through a rough patch. He makes a great target to acquire. If you're looking to trade... And uh, or we maybe sometimes fire someone on the waiver wire if it's a shallow league. This Floyd has definitely struggled thus far, and certainly has the skills to be a decent pitcher on most fantasy rosters. Well, as they say, Matt, from your lips to God's ear, uh, Gavin Floyd's on one of my rosters, and uh, he has been a disappointment results-wise, even though the skills are good. I should note that, though, in 2011, his strand rate was 65%. In 09, it was 69%. In 06, it was 66%. So it could be that maybe there's an issue here with his ability to pitch from the stretch. Maybe it becomes less effective as a pitcher when he's got runners on, which might contribute to a depressed strand rate and an increased ERA higher than we'd expect from his ex. CRA. Staying in the White Sox, let's move to their bullpen. Addison Reed, after they had their closer merry-go-round earlier this year, finally seemed to settle in and take the job, but he hasn't really shone so far. Addison Reed's got a tremendous skill set, very highly touted in the preseason. We were a little skeptical, but looking so far as uh, numbers, even though he struggled, we do see some uh, excellent performance ahead. His ERA so far is 458, but his expected ERA is 390. He's at a high 34% hit rate, a low 64% strand, but he's controlling the strike zone, 10.1 strikeouts per nine innings, only 3.7 walks for a 2.8 command. This is especially important for Reed because he has a history of great control. He only walked two batters per nine innings uh, using his major league equivalents in 2011, so we expect that control to improve and make his dominance even more important and raise that command ratio. He has an 87 on his base performance value, a very high score using that metric. The only fly in the ointment seems to be a 47% fly ball rate, and that's certainly something you don't want in U.S. Cellular, the most homer-friendly park in the majors. Uh, Reed's got to get that fly ball rate down and try to get more ground balls, but right now his control of the strike zone sure looks great, and this is a guy to take a chance on. You never know what's going to happen with the White Sox and saves. They juggle that bullpen several times. But if you can get him at the right price, Reed is definitely a good guy to take a shot on because he's got the strikeout skills and has shown in the past great control that could lead him to be a fantastic closer. 
In another American League bullpen, Matt, uh, Brandon League, who had been fairly consistent the last year or so, a little meltdown last year for a while, but he's lost the job after another similar meltdown this year. And uh, the official word out of Seattle is there is no closer, but it sure looks like Tom Wilhelmson has taken over the role. What do we think of Tom Wilhelmson? Tom Wilhelmson has had a great 2012. His ERA is 338. is expected ERA 308, a little high on the 32% hit rate. But excellent dominance, striking out 10.4 batters per nine innings, walking only two and a half for a 4.1 command, and a base performance value of 140. Uh, Wilhelmson has done everything this year to show he's got the skills for the role if he gets the chance and if the management is patient with him to make sure he can keep that job. Uh, things can happen in the short run. This is still a sample size of about 32 innings or so. But his expected ERA, his control, his dominance, his command all look like a pitcher who's going to be excellent. He's not been this good in the past. His major league equivalents in 2011 suggest that you know it's not a sure thing here. But so far this year, Wilhelmson has been very dominant in his small sample size with great skills across the board. You know what it reminds me of is the uh, John Axford story. Here you have a journeyman type of guys pitching in beer leagues. Uh, I think Wilhelmson is a bartender of some kind, and all of a sudden through a series of machinations that nobody would believe if you wrote them in a Hollywood screenplay, he f- gets himself a chance at the major league level and, and shines. You know, he's turned uh, turned things around for himself and uh, wrote, written some terrific skills into an important role. Now the question is how long does he keep the role? The Mariners have officially said that Brandon League will be closing games at some point during this season. Uh, they haven't said where. <laughs> it could be that they just want to plump him up as a, as a trade piece. But uh, Tom Wilhelmson, good skills, always going to be a question about the role because as a guy with his background, I think maybe the possibility exists that if he comes into a, a bad stretch, they're all going to remember, oh yeah, this is a guy who was a bartender. He's not a proven major leaguer like Brandon League and I think decisions like that get made all the time. Uh, switching over to some hitters now, before the season, BaseballHQ.com recommended Paul Canerco as a possible value play. Odd as that sounds, given his past few years have been excellent from a fantasy point of view particularly. And he did go a little higher this year than people expected, but he's been full value for it. Canerco's having a monster six first half with a three sixty five batting average. His expected batting average is only three eleven. He's got a high 40% hit rate. So we do expect his batting average to regress somewhat. Uh, his home run power, though, is legitimate. His power next is 151, certainly sitting uh, within the range he's posted the last five years or so. The only thing here to be concerned about that I see is a gradually decreasing fly ball rate from 46% in 2009, declining each year down to 37% so far in 2012. He certainly has all the skills of a 300 hitter. His contact rate is right within the area it's always been. He's got nice plate patience with a 12% walk rate. It's been very consistent over the time. The only question has been his home run per fly ball rate as to how many home runs Canerco would hit. And this year's 20% is uh, at the top he's posted in recent history. So that also could regress a little bit. And if his fly ball rate continues to be a little lower than the past, he may not post the same 30-something home runs he has each of the past two seasons. But Canerco still has good power, still has good batting average, and is showing no signs of uh, age getting to him here. He still should be a solid contributor here throughout the season. Well, one guy whose home run rate has not been what we'd expect. In fact, none of his offense has been anywhere near what we'd have expected uh, coming into the season. Howie Kendrick of the uh, Los Angeles Angels has had a real rough year, which has been surprising because he's been so consistent. One of those top-level guys that you really wanted to have on your roster because you could count on him. Only this year, 
We haven't been able to count on him. What's going on with Howie Kendrick, Matt? Well, everyone expected Howie Kendrick to have a big year hitting in front of Albert Pujols, but as Pujols has struggled, so has Kendrick. Kendrick struggled in every department. His batting average is down to 266 without support of his expected batting average, which is only 250. It's because his contact rate is down to 78%. That's not a drop-off from 2011, but in 2011 it was a huge drop-off from 2010 where his contact rate was 85%. Kendrick in 2011 traded contact for power. Even though his contact rate went down, his power neck shot up to 118. His home run per fly ball went from 7% to 17%, and Kendrick hit 18 home runs in 2011. In 2012, however, his contact rate is the same, but the power is not there at all. His power next is 69, which is a low over the past five years. His home and per fly ball is pretty normal, 11%, but certainly not near the top of his range, the 17% he posted in 2011 that some thought would be a new high or a, a new floor that he could grow from. Uh, Kendrick has reverted to his old self, very impatient at the plate with a very low walk rate. And Kendrick hits a lot of ground balls, 59% in 2012. And it's been 52% or higher each of the past five years. So Kendrick's never going to be a huge power threat hitting so many balls on the ground. And while his speed is slightly above league average, uh, it really doesn't provide him to leg out too many more hits than the average person. Uh, his line drive rate is average at best. So Kendrick, if he wants more power, has got to translate some of those ground balls into fly balls. Right now, there's no evidence he can do that, as this does pretty much fit within his career norm pattern. 2011 seems to be the outlier right now, uh, not 2012. And uh, what you see is what you get from Kendrick. He could raise his average a little bit based on his past, but generally this is going to be a middle-of-the-road player for a standard mixed league, uh, obviously valuable in AL only, more so, but uh, really not the superstar emerging that many would hope at this age. And the fact that he had had a big step forward in 2011 apparently it appears from so far in 2012 that was not a step forward but an aberration in the statistics and he's going to revert back to the normal Howie Kendrick we knew before 2011. Except for the batting average before 2011 at least you could count on that although it was bouncing around a little he was hitting 300 in 08, 290 the year after that, 279, 285 so 266 does seem like a, a significant drop but everything else exactly as you say and a worrying sign for 012 you mentioned the uh, fly ball rate it's down four points to just 23 percent from last year his line drive rate also down about four percent and his uh ground ball rate up 8%. So less liners, less fly balls, more grounders, not a really great combination if you're looking for power or really if you're looking for batting average. Kendrick, probably, as you said, what you see is is what you get. Matt, before we let you go, Jonathan Sanchez of Kansas City, the pitcher and outfielder Franklin Gutierrez, uh, Seattle outfielder, came back from the DL. And I guess the question is, is it worth taking a flyer on either of these guys, knowing what we know? Well, Patrick, the answer is no and no. Sanchez has a horrible walk rate, 7.8 walks per nine innings so far this year, incredibly small sample size, but it was 4.5 walks per nine in 2010 and rose to 5.9 walks per nine in 2011. So this guy's skills are going in the wrong direction. He's got a 6.75 ERA with an expected ERA of 6.02, so this is danger waiting to happen. Sanchez has a great arm. He has great skills and the ability to strike batters out but he has no idea where the ball is going. He has no control of the strike zone. So Jonathan Sanchez is not someone you want to pursue on the waiver wire. Similarly, Franklin Gutierrez, uh, he had nice power in 2007, but since then his power has been less than 100. 
uh, which is our average measure for power index. So he's been below average power, a 227 expected batting average. He does have some speed. He got 13 solo bases and 322 at bats in 2011. That's really the only thing he brings to the table. He's got the low batting average, below average power, and he does have above average ability to steal some bases. So if you need steals, you could target Gutierrez, but for any other reason, I would certainly avoid him. He's now injury prone to add to the skills that have disappeared. So I think Gutierrez is a big risk unless you're really desperate for steals. All right, Matt, uh, you'll be back a little later on with your commentary. Your Market Pulse, what's your topic this week? This week on Market Pulse, we're going to talk about rolling the dice to try to shake up a roster that seems to be asleep so far in your fantasy baseball season. All right, Matt, that sounds great. Thanks very much for doing this, and we'll catch up with you again next week. Always look forward to it, Patrick. Yeah, Matt, me too. Matt Beagle is a columnist at BaseballHQ.com and our American League commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our feature interview with Gene McCaffrey of Wise Guy Baseball is next. You're listening to Gibson Baseball HQ swings Radio. and a fly ball to deep right field. This is going to be a home run. Unbelievable. A home run for Gibson. And the Dodgers have won the game 5-4. to four. I don't believe what I just saw. Is this really happening, Bill? It is happening, and they've got to help him home. The third-place coach, uh, Joe Amalfitano, had to give him a little push, and all the Dodgers are around home plate. I don't believe what I just saw. One of the most remarkable finishes to any World Series game. A one-handed home run by Kurt Gibson, and the Dodgers have won it to four and I am stunned Bill I have seen a lot of dramatic finishes and a lot of sports but this one might top almost every other one Baseball HQ Radio And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick David. Pleasure now to be joined for the second time this season by Gene McCaffrey of Wise Guy Baseball. Great guy, Gene. Welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Good to be with the uh, HQ subscribers. What a crowd, I tell you. <laughs> Actually, uh, a lot more than HQ subscribers. Of course, the podcast is free and the site is not, so hopefully there's some overlap there, but we get all kinds of people uh, contacting us, telling us how much they like the show and especially how much they like to hear from Gene McCaffrey, so we're glad to have you back. Uh, Gene, before we get started talking about uh, your particular situation and, and other things like that, I'd like to know, what do you think has been the big story this year for uh, fantasy baseball? How about injuries? Uh, I know it's not a unique story to this year, but they're, they've come hard, they've come heavy, they've come across the spectrum, and it's actually a continuing story. I mean, it seems to be every year that the it sets a new record for most players on the DL in most time, and uh, I think it's time that the, the real major league teams started doing some serious questioning of their conditioning and training methods. Um, they don't seem to be working. More injuries, and they seem to last longer. Um but yeah, I mean it's kill it, it it's made our games much more luck driven and we don't like that, do we? Maybe there's a opportunity here for a shrewd manager to figure out a way to project injuries. Well, I mean you can always go by track record. Um one of the things that that we've been doing is do not invest heavily in injury prone players. I mean that seems very obvious, but you see it every year. Um, you know, on the other hand, there, there some injury-prone players have stayed healthy, such as Ian Kinsler and Josh Hamilton. I mean, they're two of the kings of injury, 
and um, and their owners have gotten by unscathed so far. So there's that element to it too. But I, in general, I don't like to uh, invest high dollars or high draft picks in players with any kind of injury history. You know, I'd rather take a, a slightly less performance than, um, yeah, I'd rather take Robinson Cano than Josh Hamilton, no question. You know, I play in a, in a home league, an AL-only league, a few years ago, and we had a guy, he was an experienced guy, but he had left the league, and he was a good player, and by our rules, he came back, he had to have a clean slate. He had to, It's a keeper league, but he had nobody. And so his strategy going into the league that year was he was just going to take all high-risk players because that's all that he could really get because all the good ones were gone. So he grabbed guys like uh, Kinsler and Brian Roberts of Baltimore at the time was already having a lot of injury trouble. And lo and behold, they all panned out and he won the league in his first year back, which was an astonishing accomplishment. So maybe there's a an element of risk management there where you you have to accept more risk if your situation is more dire going into draft. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can definitely do it that way. The way I do it is if I draft solid and build the foundation of my team solidly, I'll take my shots later on because then you can afford to do that. And, and not only with injury risks, but also with uh, guys who have playing time issues or clearly talented and looking for a role. And it, it's worked for me this year in the NFBC, that, that style of drafting. And we'll talk about your teams in just a minute, but how, how about anybody who drafted Roy Halladay to anchor their pitching staff this year and Evan Longoria as their infield anchor? Here's two guys that never miss games, and here they are this year missing games. Lots of games, in fact. Yeah, and Mariano Rivera. Yeah, exactly. Although Longoria has had a little bit of an injury history, so uh, I, think, I think he was a questionable first-round pick anyway. Um, but he was certainly playing like a first-round pick so uh, until he went down. I don't know. Is it? We were talking about this today. Has half the first and second round picks not panned out this year? If it's not half, it's very close. I haven't actually looked at it lately, but it's it was over half at one point that had either suffered injuries or were just underperforming. Albert Pujols jumps to mind, of course. Uh, earlier in the earlier in the season, you mentioned Cano. He got off to a very slow start. We had all the injuries uh, as well. Don't I know? That Cano got off to a slow start. Yes, he did. And uh, you mentioned, Gene, uh, that your NFBC draft is going well. How are you doing in your drafts this year? Mediocre, except for the NFBC, where I'm, uh, I'm in first place in my league there, and I've got a shot to win it all. I faded a little bit this week. I'm somewhere in the low 20s overall. But winning my league, and it's a tough league. It's got Lindy Hinkleman in it, and Lindy is very hard to beat. And so far, so good. Um, and, I, and I'm actually very optimistic about that because I'm not, still not firing on all cylinders with that team, and that's a good thing to do when you when you're doing well and you've got room for improvement. That's cause for optimism to me. The rest of my leagues, eh. we're both in the uh, Tout Wars mixed league. Uh, I drafted Evan Longoria and Albert Pujols. And my pitching was uh, very unfortunate. Ubaldo Jimenez and Corey Lubke between ineffectiveness and injury. So I'm really struggling. How are you doing in that league? Um, I'm sort of like at the bottom of the middle of the pack. I could, I actually still have a chance to do well in that in that league. I lost both my closers early, um, and so dug a deep hole there. Um, had some playing time issues early, um, but now they seem to be coming around and. I've got a chance. Um, I think I need to trade for a little more power, uh, which was going to be a problem. But I, th- I think if my players come back around, I don't know if I'm going to win that league, but I think I have a shot to get to, you know, get into the money. How long have you been playing fantasy baseball, Gene? Ooh, late '80s. We started uh, with a. It was a. We had a six-team NL 
having read the article about uh, the Dan, the famous Dan Okrand article, uh, we were always big baseball fans in our office, and we decided to do this. We had a bizarre scoring system, which I can't remember. I think we used runs created for offense. Because, I mean, those were the, you know, the formative days of sabermetrics, and we were all um, into into the Bill James methodology and just that way of asking questions and trying to get answers for it. And we were all National League fans at that time, so we decided to do it that way. And that's how we started. And um, after that, I got, um, when I moved out here to Colorado, I saw an ad for the this what is now the CDM Challenge. It used to be called the Sporting News Diamond Challenge, and I looked at it and I said, hey, I can beat this and played that game and did well in that game and that's when I started. After that, I said I want to write something, so I wrote Wise Guy Baseball and through that I got into, I was invited to play in labor in 1998, which is a long time ago now, isn't it? It is. How many leagues do you play in altogether? This year I'm in six and it's too many. How many is too many? That's an interesting question. How many leagues should a guy really max out in? Well, you know, I'm a big freedom guy. Do whatever suits you. Um, but I think that maybe we all have a tendency to stretch ourselves too thin just in the just in the excitement. I love to do drafts. I love to do auctions. But then and I say, oh, I can handle this. And it only seems that one or two teams get put on the back burner as a result of it. Because, you know, in order to – so much of the game these days is in-season management. And to do it right, it, it takes time. And I – I don't have the time for six teams anymore. And so I tried to cut down this year, but I came crawling back. And here I am with my six. So let's do the best we can. I remember a few years ago in Arizona, uh, Kimball Crosley, uh, Toronto Blue Jays scout, uh, gave an address at the uh, seminar. And he said, anybody who's playing more than one league is really not having the experience of running a team because if you're running a major league team and it's doing poorly, you can't just fold it up and go run your other major league team. You got to run the one you got. And uh, he kind of got a bit of a laugh out there, but I thought that was an interesting point. Well, I mean, there's something to it, but then again, we're not running major league teams. We're running, um, our own fantasy teams and, and, uh, um, and so, whatever you can handle, and whatever whatever feels comfortable for you. I think I like different formats too. I would certainly play in, um, you know, at least one auction league, at least one draft league, and one CDM or fan track style uh, challenge kind of game. I would do at least three, and I don't have wouldn't have any problem at all handling that. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Gene McCaffrey from Wise Guy Baseball. And Gene, we're well past Memorial Day, which a lot of experts say is kind of the threshold where you can look at your team and figure what your chances are for success. But how do you approach assessing those chances? I don't think it's too late for teams to bounce back at all. Um, I think that if at the end of June you're still in really bad shape, then you have to take a long, hard look at it. Um, as far as assessing your teams is concerned, I do not do it formally. I, um, but I'm always looking at my team and saying, what do I need? How can I get it? Can I get it with what I have? Do I need to trade? Do I need to use the fab market? Um, and that's how I assess myself. Um, and, but I agree that at this time of year, you have a pretty good idea, certainly, of what you need. Um, but even if you've got if you good totals and categories, it's no time to be complacent. Um, there's almost two-thirds of the season to go. So even if you're doing well, 
you need to stay on top. When you're assessing your team, Gene, do you do you look at your own team? Do you also look at the rest of the league and say, all right, I'm going to finish with 180 home runs, which before the year I thought was going to be pretty good, but now it looks like it's maybe not going to get me as many points as I thought, so I'm going to have to adjust my thinking. Do you look at all the other teams as well as your own, or are you pretty much just concerned with your own your own team? Well, primarily my own. But, yeah, I'm always looking at the competition and, and seeing what they, what they need. Um, and if they can go out and get it, um, it's it's interesting, especially in the NFBC team, leagues where um, where you have to drop players to pick up players and to see who's dropping whom. Um, there's no trading in that league too. But if you're in a trading league, you have to you have to look at your other teams because in order to make trades, the best way to do it is to look. You know, this is what I need. Who's got that? Look at their teams. Is is there a fit here? And if and if there is, then you you know make contact and say, hey, how about a deal? Um, so in trading, it's an absolute must to look at other teams. Right. Uh, Ron Chandler and others at BaseballHQ.com have written about the keys to trading. And the, the first one they all agree is figure out what your trading partner needs from you that you can supply because there's no point in offering a guy who's going to win the stolen base category, you know, more stolen bases or is going to take a one and is, you know, beyond help. Same de- same deal. You've got to be able to go to him and say, I've got a surplus of this that you can use. You've got a surplus of that that I can use and then fit the two things together. And it's isn't it remarkable, especially in home leagues, how few owners actually go to that trouble? Uh, I don't understand it. Um, it, uh, why wouldn't you do that? Um, the other thing I do, I don't. I'm not a big negotiator. I'm not one of these people who relishes trade negotiations. I like to, you know, don't play games with me, and I won't play games with you. I, I'll make you a good offer, one that I think is fair, anyway. Um, of course, trying to looking out for my own interests, of course. But I, I don't like to insult the other guy's intelligence, um, and I don't like it when they insult mine. Um, so I like to be realistic and get it done. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to improve our team. So let's do it. Let's get it done. Awful lot of resistance, though, sometimes, isn't there? Because the guy just doesn't see things your way or doesn't see the math your way or whatever, you know, thinks that Coco Crisp is going to steal 50 bags between now and the end of the year. And you, if you can't shake him off that belief, then you're just not going to get anything. You're not, that's right. And But I think you find out soon enough whether you're wasting time or not. Um, there was one thing I wanted to uh, tell the, tell the listeners about, though, and that one thing that I do this year at this time is analyze the teams themselves for saves. Um, saves, are, as you know, are almost completely luck-driven. But one way you can analyze it is to look at the teams and look at who who is underachieving, who is overachieving, um, and most important, who's got the most makeup games to play. Usually at this time of year, one team will have five more games to play than some of the other teams. And by combining these two, I use the you know the Bill James Pythagorean method of runs scored squared you know to get a team's what their winning percentage should be. And it's always illuminating. There are always things, and then I just do a win expectation based on how many games they have to play. For instance, this year uh, from now. Um, it looks like the White Sox should win about 10 more games than the Phillies. So if you're in a trade negotiation with somebody and you happen to be lucky enough to own Papelbon, you could offer up Papelbon for Addison Reed and, and probably come out ahead on the deal. Um, so if you have a deal that, that um, where you're looking good anyway, 
um, if you say to your trading partner, hey, I'll throw in Papelbon, you throw me Addison Reed, you can really clean up with that sort of thing. Um, I think it's worth mentioning because they say it's so much luck-driven. This is one thing that's not luck-driven, and it's worked pretty much every year since I've started doing it, which is 15 years ago. So worth mentioning. Matt Beagle of BaseballHQ.com and a commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio a couple of weeks ago did a commentary in which he he wasn't talking about saves per se. He was talking about all the counting categories, but he made the same point. He said at this point in the year, if you're looking at free agent pickups or making deals, there are some teams that have five or six more games to play between now and the end than, uh, than others. So if you were to trade th- to acquire two of those guys from those teams so you get 12 extra games and trade away you know two guys who are at the have had the most games played you can, it's like getting an extra 20 games out of out of out of those spots in the counting categories anyway now, how do you figure the gaps in the ratio categories though when you say the gaps in the ratio categories well i mean uh, you know if i look at the home run category and i've got right now i've got 60 and and you've got 80 i can kind of eyeball it and say i probably don't have much of a chance to catch you given you know how many home runs i expect you to get and me to get just by prorating really right but it's a lot tougher on era and ratio to make those calculations how how much how much better do i have to get in whip to make up a 0.055 right gap? I, I, it's impossible to do it but I mean, you you do have the the advantage that people can come down, and they probably will. I mean, the people who were at the top in the in the decimals, in the decimal categories, are probably going to come back to earth a little bit. Um, nobody's as good as they look when they're you know pitching to a 1.5 ERA for two months. That's going to change. You know, I had this with the, in the NFBC with my batting average because I had guys that were just off the charts good. You know, I have David Wright and Raphael Fercal, and I know that they're not going to hit 350, and so it's going to come down. You have to figure that out. But, you know, they, there's a relentless pull in this game, you know, the whirlpool, the plexiglass effect, you know. You can call it all players will be what they are soon. Um, so everything is being pulled towards the center. So I, I, I think that it's just a question of assessing what it is that you need and how it is that you are going to get it, and then as far as the other teams, let the chips fall where they may. Even big, big, big deficits can be made up in the decimal category. So I don't worry about so much what the other teams are doing. It's what my team is doing and what I need to do to get where I want to be. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Gene McCaffrey. And Gene, a lot of when we talk about how to manage your team during the year, a lot of it focuses on playing in keeper leagues because you know you can you can calculate am i in am i out do i dump do i do i be, be an acquirer but what about when you're in single year leagues non-keeper leagues how does an owner stay engaged if he looks at his team and goes i'm going nowhere what does such an owner do out of the running to to stay involved and enjoy the season what i do is uh, join a mid-season league whether it's an nfb uh, nfbc style draft or uh, or a challenge game that uh, cdm or fan tracks do they have mid-season games and it's a way to get a fresh start i mean nobody likes to be wrong and when you get hammered with injuries you make a couple of bad decisions and and you're getting hammered this way i salvage the season by okay what have i learned how can i apply it for uh, for what's going to happen from now on and so that's what i do Get another team. Gene, before we let you go, we've been asking uh, everybody who's been on the show about uh, some of the players that you're looking at for the balance of the year. And uh, let's start with uh, some pitchers. Who's a National League pitcher you really like for the balance of the 2012 season? 
I have two guys. Um, I assume, by the way, that you don't want the obvious here, that you want guys who are a little bit of an eye-openers. My two guys are uh, Nathan Eovaldi and Clayton Richard, believe it or not. Um, I would be real careful with both of them to, to uh, start them only at home, but they're back-end guys. They're not the type of guys that you need um, to rely on full-time. Um, but I think we have great home parks, and of all these cases, he's got great stuff. I think Richard is a little underrated as far as his stuff is concerned. And may, both of them might be available in, in certain mixed leagues. How about on the American League side, a pitcher or two that uh, you think really should uh, catch our eye? Uh, Matt Harrison on Texas. Um, his strikeouts haven't been there so far, but I think every once in a while the ERA predicts the strikeouts rather than the other way around. And I think this is one of those cases. He throws in the 90s. He's got great movement, good defense behind him. Um, he's coming around now. He had a couple of rough starts early, but he's pitched very well lately. And if I was in a trading league, I'd target him. How about a National League pitcher you don't like for the balance of the year? You know, it's funny because most of the National League pitchers who are doing well, I think, deserve to be where they are. Uh, the possible exception is... Chad Billingsley, whose control is still not what it should be and is probably going to have a rougher time than he's had so far. And on the American League side? Uh, Jake Peavy. Not only because of the injury history, but because once the weather turns warm, that ballpark is a launching pad. And I know Peavy's been great so far, but if I owned him, I'd be trying to trade him now. Okay, let's move over to the hitters. A National League hitter or two that you like for the balance of the season? I like anybody who's playing regularly for the Rockies. Um, the problem is the chronic indecision of, of their management. But I would uh, keep an eye on Pacheco, who's got a chance to grab the third base job. And if the injury news is any worse on Ramon Hernandez, Willen Rosario, who's a very unpolished hitter, but he's got great power, and he's got Coors Field. And Coors Field has been way up this year, almost to the pre-humidor days. That's because of the weather, by the way. So that's why I like Rockies hitters. You know, uh, Will and Rosario came up uh, in a research piece I did for BaseballHQ.com a couple of weeks ago. Gene, every so often I like to look at how hard guys hit the ball, especially how hard they hit their fly balls and line drives, and then I multiply it by how often they don't strike out, contact rate we call it. Uh, and uh, Will and Rosario is a top 10 guy. He strikes out a lot, but he hits the ball so darn hard all the time that even when you multiply it against his relatively weak contact rate, he's really a guy that can powder the ball. If he ever starts making contact consistently, by which I mean he isn't striking out 30% of the time, he could be really dangerous. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, Coors Field cuts down on strikeouts, too. I mean, he's a guy that you might be able to play game home road games with um, until he gets his polish. Uh, of course, sometimes it never happens, but you're right. I mean, he's just a, he's a raw talent and, and not an expensive one, so worth, worth taking. I also wanted to mention an AL guy who I like who's doing poorly, and that's Jamile Weeks. Um, he's a much better than 220 hitter. I mean, he does hit fly balls that will keep his, a lid on his batting average, but he makes good contact. He's still got every ounce of his speed, and he's got a little bit of pop. Uh, plus, I think his owners are probably exasperated by this point. So if you're looking for somebody to to, you know, to acquire, take a shot with Jamal. And finally, uh, a couple of hitters uh, from the National League that you don't like for the balance of the year. Maybe you trade away or ignore trade offers for. 
Well, I'm going to go way out on a limb here and say Andrew McCutcheon because wow. I know he's a very good player, but he had a deep and long slump last year. I don't expect him to fall off the table tomorrow. I don't think it will happen for another month or maybe even six weeks. If I owned him, I'd hang on to him now and try to trade him in a month because you're going to get a lot for him. And I don't think he's quite – he's not a 325 hitter. I think he's more like a 290 type hitter. So, so there's – air to be let out of that balloon. In the American League, I think uh, Josh Willingham's a little over his head as far as his batting average is concerned. Um, By the way, that park is not a bad home run park for a right-handed hitter. Um, That's contrary to the first year's evidence. Now we've got almost a year and a half that shows that it's it's okay for a right-handed hitter. Um, The other guy who, at the risk of being obvious, is Chris Davis. Um, He's got his power is legitimate. But there's no way in the world he's a 300 hitter. His contact is a little better, but it's still it's a high batting average is unsustainable. Before I let you go, Gene, uh, let me ask you this: Bryce Harper or Mike Trout? <sighs> Can I take them both? Um, for fantasy purposes, I think I'd take Trout because uh, the speed is more of a more of a guaranteed. But I think that they're both going to be great players, and any slumping that they do, I think, is going to be minor and. It's funny because we we saw a Trout in Arizona last year, and I he looked terrible. Um, he was just flailing at junk, and boy, he sure doesn't look like that now, does he? And well, well he always had the true speed. And Harper is um, he's a baseball player. He's not just a swing guy. He's he plays defense. He runs the bases. He's he's got the you know the George Brett, Pete Rose kind of attitude that I don't know if it really helps you, but it makes them fun to. Be on your team. I'll tell you something else that I like about both these guys. Even if they have offensive slumps, they play defensively so well that their managers are not going to be very quick to pull the trigger. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, they're baseball players. They're not. They're not just raw talents. They're they're guys who have the the little skills, as the announcers have, and they don't mean nothing. I mean, we I know what sabermetric guys kind of denigrate that, but they don't mean nothing. And they, and especially as you say, for playing time. Uh, to be able to take runs off the board is an extremely valuable skill. It's going to buy them the time. Not that they, you know, they have enough offensive talent that I think their managers would, would give them the chance anyway, but it's just that little extra bit of insurance. And that attitude you mentioned about Bryce Harper is interesting, too, because I think that helps cement a guy's reputation badly in the media and among the public. There's already people who think this guy's, you know, full of his, too big for his britches or full of himself or whatever. But I think baseball managers who tend to be the kind of guys who succeeded on grit and not on talent in a lot of instances, look at a guy like that and go, I like a guy who has that kind of attitude. He he rises a little bit in the manager's estimation, which again is not going to hurt when they're making a, does he bat fifth versus seventh decision or does he, does he play or sit today? Those kind of decisions often go on intangibles like, I just like the way he runs the bases out there and crashes into people. Right. And, you know, these things are not really intangible anymore. I mean, you can see, and uh, now we, you know, we're measuring base running, and you, I'm sure you'll see in both cases that these guys are big pluses to their team or in that little area. Um, so, yeah, it cannot possibly hurt you. It can only help you. Exactly right. Gene, uh, anything you want to mention to steer listeners towards uh, Wise Guy Baseball? Too late to buy the book, but if you want to go to wiseguybaseball.com and we'll. Uh, We've got plenty of interesting discussions going on uh, during the course of the season, so feel free to come over and join in. All right, Gene, thanks very much for doing this. I hope we can catch up with you at least once more during the year. 
Always a pleasure, Patrick. You just let me know, and I'll be there. All right, and we'll see you in Arizona in the fall. I hope so. All right. Gene McCaffrey of Wise Guy Baseball. Our commentaries are next. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run. And the Cardinals have won the game by the score of 3-2. to two And a home run by the Wizards. Go crazy. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. We have Matt Beagle on deck with the Market Pulse and BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler in the hole with Master Notes and leading off the Minor League Minute. BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon telling us about outfielder Jorge Soler, the Cuban sensation who was recently signed by the Chicago Cubs. While much of the baseball world was focused on the 2012 draft and then Matt Cain's perfect game, The Chicago Cubs made headlines of their own this week when they announced that they had signed 20-year-old Cuban defector Jorge Soler. Prior to defecting, Soler was considered one of the better young players in Cuba and has really good international experience. At 6'3", 225 pounds, Soler is already physically mature and has nice athleticism. At the plate, Soler has above-average bat speed and shows good power to all fields. He doesn't have the kind of raw power of his countryman, Jonas Cespedes, but it should be good enough to play any of the three outfield slots. Soler is also considered an above-average runner with a very strong throwing arm. Long-term, that likely means he profiles best in right field. Soler will need two to three years of development time before he reaches the majors, but his acquisition gives Cubs GM Theo Epstein yet another building block as he attempts to turn around the moribund organization. With Soler, Anthony Rizzo, Brett Jackson, and 2012 first-rounder Albert Omura likely to sign soon, the Cubs finally have a core which they can begin to build around. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, and Colby Garropy have reports and updates on organizational moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. Jeremy's call-up reports this week have looked at Texas pitchers Michael Kirkman and Tanner Sheppers, San Diego right-hander Brad Boxberger, potential Atlanta superstar right-hander Julio Terran, the White Sox outfielder Jordan Danks, and many more. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now the Market Pulse with BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle talking this week about how rolling the dice is fun and stratomatic, but not a winning roto formula. An old friend of mine and avid fantasy baseball players periodically emails me for my advice on certain issues. And this week he sent me an email and said he wanted to roll the dice with an underperforming team and shake things up a little bit. As a stratomatic player for over 30 years, I love to roll the dice. But in rotisserie, I think that's a recipe for disaster nine times out of ten. Now, if you're in last place, I guess you could say you have nothing to lose. It can add some fun and value to your season to start trading off players and try it with somebody new. But in reality, if your team's near the bottom of your league, you're rolling the dice because your players have underperformed so far. If your players have underperformed so far and you had a good draft strategy going in, they're most likely going to overperform from here on out. And since more than half the season is out there, I'm usually willing to wait that out. Of course, if I get a no-brainer offer, I'm going to take it. 
but rolling the dice just for the sake of rolling the dice is asking for disaster. You're going to be getting trading your guys that you drafted with a good skill set who've underperformed for someone else's underperforming assets, or you're going to have to overpay for someone who's playing well right now. In either case, it's a losing proposition unless you've used Baseball HQ metrics to determine that in the future their value will be better. Just rolling the dice, going with your gut, or flying by your heels, whichever expression you'd like to use, will not lead you to a title, will not bring you to the top half of your league. You've got to use the formulas that have been set forth in front of you. You've got to stick to the plan that's been laid out and be patient to let these players come back to where they should be. With this much left in the season, you have plenty of time yet to make a significant improvement in your standings. If this is August 1st, maybe you only have two months left and you've got to do something. At that point, it may be too late, but even still, we've seen some huge Septembers out of players that can make winners out of losers. So if you want to roll the dice, play Stratomatic. If you're in rotisserie, don't roll the dice for the sake of rolling dice. Identify which guys look like they have the skills to get better using the HQ metrics and keep those guys, the ones that don't seem to be getting any better. Maybe then you could send your loser off to somebody else for their loser who does have a good future, who still does have good skills that could improve your team. With the Market Pulse for Baseball HQ, I'm Matt Beagle. Matt Beagle's columns on a variety of fantasy baseball topics appear regularly at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talking this week about his experience in a four-week league. Last week I participated in a draft for a four-week league. This is one of those newfangled short-term competitions though mine is a private one run by a group of friends. Most of these new games are for a single day or a week. I thought that was a little too much like blind dart throwing for me. Four weeks seemed like a reasonable length of time to show off how random performance is. Twelve teams, 16-man rosters, nine hitters, one at each position, and seven pitchers. That's just over 25% penetration into the player population. Certainly, it should be pretty easy to skim off the best players in a format like this, right? However, the one wrinkle in this league was that you could only make one roster move during the four weeks. You could make it at any time, and it would take effect within 24 hours. So with virtually no room for error, I spent the draft looking for players who were the embodiment of good health. (laughs) As much as possible. Well, anyway, the league runs from June 11th to July 8th, Opening day for me was this past Monday, and on the mound for my team was... (sighs) Brandon Morrow. So, nine pitches into my season, and one of my five starters is now gone. First question, should I burn my one replacement this soon? A starting pitcher is important, but if one of my stud hitters goes belly up tomorrow, I'd much rather dip into the bountiful free agent pool for him. Passing on this replacement would put wins and strikeouts at risk. Everything else could be covered. But a downed hitter potentially cost me three or four categories. Heck, there is no way I could predict a hitter going down. And the sooner I use my replacement, the more time I could squeeze out of him. Ah, So much time left. Actually, time was my friend in this instance. With the varying rotation schedules of my pitchers... I had a few days' grace before I would start falling behind the pace of accumulating starts. 
so I assembled a list of possible replacements and made my decision based on that. Any pitcher who I could squeeze an extra start out of might get an edge, and in the meantime, I could wait a few days to see if any of my hitters went down. Research conducted several years ago showed that once a pitcher enters into a dominating streak of any length, the probability is that his subsequent start is going to be better than average outing. The further a player is into a streak, the higher the likelihood that the subsequent performance will be of high quality. In fact, once a pitcher has posted six dominating starts in a row, there is greater than a 70% probability that the streak will continue. There is much more about this research in the baseball forecaster, but the bottom line was that my best candidates were pitchers who had just started a streak of dominating starts. Looking for these, I narrowed my list of replacements to five. Clay Buckholtz, Ryan Dempster, Phil Hughes, Ubaldo Jimenez, and Jared Weaver. Note that in an exercise like this, ERA is meaningless. I might get five or six starts total out of any of these pitchers during the four weeks. Volatile ERAs would mean I'd have to focus on the underlying skills. Well, when it comes to skills, that immediately ruled out Buckholtz and Jimenez. Dempster has got some upside, but his inconsistency and poor surrounding cast made him the third cut. That left Hughes and Weaver, both on good teams. Weaver had slightly better skills profile, but he's coming off the back injury, which was worrisome. Phil Hughes. Well, he also had the earliest next start of the bunch. So there it is. And I am now officially a spectator. Hmm. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler. Ron Chandler writes a weekly fanalytics column every Friday on BaseballHQ.com. This week, Ron writes about Steroids Era 2.0. Ron also has a weekly chat every Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock Eastern at usatoday.com, and he discusses his columns and other topics in the subscriber forums at baseballhq.com. You can get Ron's master notes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to baseballhq.com and sign up. Of course, Ron also has his master notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of June the 16th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 22 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and rate our show. We could use some five-star ratings. I also want to thank our guest today, starting with Gene McCaffrey of Wise Guy Baseball. Gene's one of the nicest guys in a business full of nice guys, and we're going to have to get Gene on to talk about music one of these days. Thanks also to our regular lineup from BaseballHQ.com, our MarketWatch news analyst Harold Nichols and Matt Beagle, who was also our Market Pulse columnist this week. Our minor league analyst was Rob Gordon, and our Master Notes commentator, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler. We have some really great features this week at BaseballHQ.com. Stephen Nickran's Starting Pitching Buyer's Guide is about one split away. We talked about that earlier on the show. Doug Dennis' Bullpen's Buyer's Guide is about elite non-closers, which we also talked about on this edition of Baseball HQ Radio. And Matt Cedarholm has interesting research into first-half variances between earned run average and expected earned run average. Plus, we have all our regular features on playing time, facts and flukes, buyer's guides, and more. I'm Patrick Davitt. My batting buyer's guide appears every Tuesday, and I also hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. You should also check out Baseball HQ on Facebook 
and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with Dr. HQ Rick Wilton talking about all those baseball injuries on another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.